Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Mr. Chris Hutting. And before we get into the news of today, I just want to direct everyone to the Institute of Race Relations Growth Strategy document, uh, which a presentation was done this morning. You can go and check it out on the IRR's uh, YouTube page, and I think we'll put a link to that in the description of this video. It's just a presentation on how we can get out of the economic problems that South Africa finds itself in. So do check that out. All right, so let's talk about the first story today. Uh, so Chris, we've seen the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Um, all day long, I've been hearing uh, Gripen fighter jets, uh, South Africa's uh, Air Force flying overhead, um, which is, I must say, while it's not the greatest use of taxpayer money, I am at least pleased to see that those Gripens are getting some usage. I know the pilots often don't get a chance to fly them. And um, announced at the BRICS summit was that BRICS is going to be expanding. It's going to be inviting a number of new countries. Um, President Soren Ramaphosa was hailed by Vladimir Putin for his, quote, political mastery after uh, what Putin said was uh, Ramaphosa's efforts to uh, guide his BRICS counterparts on who should be allowed in an expanded version of BRICS. Um, Putin said, I would like to thank our South African friends for their efforts during our joint work. I would like to point that Re President Ramaphosa showed unique political mastery as we negotiated all these issues, even the BRICS expansion. And Nahendra Modi also endorsed expanding BRICS, saying, as I said, India has always fully supported the expansion of BRICS membership. The addition of new members will further strengthen BRICS as an organization. So the new proposed members are going to be Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Argentina. So kind of an interesting collection there. And uh, what is, you can see some arguments, I think, for, for most of those countries. Um, oh, and Iran, of course. Uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, of course, big oil money. So the UAE, those are kind of countries that are really looking to expand their economic impact and and, and beyond oil into, into different spheres and to trade more. Um, I can't really work out why they've invited Argentina other than to have another South American country. And Argentina has had a lot of political and economic problems over a very long period of time. Chris, what do you make of this expansion? What, what, what kind of can we draw from this? Mostly surprised by the fact that India shifted now in terms of going for the expansion. Um, they've been worried about diluting both their own influence within BRICS, but also BRICS as a whole. So I find that quite noteworthy. But India, they're doing very well throughout the last two to three years with various interests and investments and players um, closing up to the West, but also moves on, on China and Russia. So uh, India is the one to watch for me. Look, I, I, it depends now on what agreements in terms of trade and investment can come out of BRICS. So it's one thing to expand, but it's another thing to actually then use that expansion in an effective way to get investment going, to get trade flowing. So it's by no means a guarantee. I mean, one has the United Nations, but you still have very bad policies all around the world that all the countries that are part of the United Nations ascribe to and implement. That doesn't mean it's sort of these pro-economic growth policies. Um, so by no means a guarantee. I do think a bit of a feather in the cap there for President Ramaphosa, seeing as the expansion has now been agreed upon at the summit, which South Africa has hosted. So whether one agrees with President Putin's assessment materially or not, it helps the perception of President Ramaphosa as this global 
statesman, which arguably has very much, that perception has declined in the last four years, almost since the beginning of his presidency. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's quite interesting though now that BRICS is going to contain the United States' three main geopolitical enemies, those being Russia, China, and of course Iran. Um, so I think Iran is in some ways unexpected, but it's a, uh, you might consider it one of the more controversial um, inclusions. Its economy is based even more around, a, a lot around oil. Um, it's heavily sanctioned by many Western countries, not just the Americans, but also many European countries. Um, I think it's quite interesting that Nigeria is not in here, uh, and that perhaps suggests that Nigeria might be looking more the other direction. Ethiopia had all this international goodwill behind it until the outbreak of the of the civil war with Tigray, and there's continuing to be serious issues in that uh, in that region. Um, so I think Ethiopia would have been maybe five years ago, a much bigger prize when I think one year it was the best growing economy in the world. I think it grew at 10% or something. And as a, as a sort of prize for BRICS, it's much diminished since then with the outbreak of the civil war with Tigray. And now there's also trouble in Amhara region and, and, the, and the Oromo region as well. Um, so we'll have to, as, like you said, we'll have to see what actually comes of this because, you know, this might just dilute the whole thing. Um, okay, let's move on to our next story. And this is a report from the Auditor General's Office, which finds that the Msunduzi municipality in KZN is, according to the Auditor General's Office, effectively facilitating the theft of electricity. Uh, according to the Auditor General, more than 21,000 households are illegally connected to the electricity grid just in this uh, municipality. They said that the municipality is effectively aiding people to avoid um, paying prepaid electricity. A lot of the prepaid electricity meters have been bypassed in this municipality and the municipality simply just refuses to disconnect them or engage in any kind of debt collection pra uh, practices. Um, auditors pegged the estimated loss related to illegal connections at 111 million rand. Uh, although this is an estimate because they don't have the exact consumption figures. Chris, uh, it's bad when people steal electricity. It's super bad when a municipality helps people steal electricity. No, absolutely. But uh, yeah, sort of pointing to the general decline that we've experienced in our municipalities over the last, sort of accelerated over the last three to five years, as evidenced every year in the Auditor General's own reports on the viability of municipalities, their lack of transparency around fund uh, spending, uh, around salaries, all that sort of thing. It's almost despite the best wishes and intentions of the central planners, how these things manifest sometimes. So this wouldn't have been the goal or the intention, but through the sort of lack of skills development, through the lack of accountability, through things like cater deployment, these secondary and even more effects and consequences happen to manifest in unexpected ways. And then it becomes very difficult to change that sort of behavior again because however people do it this is a way for them to get electricity and that's the main goal but how are they going to change it back into a, a way that doesn't follow the sort of path right I, I mean this just strikes me as essentially a kind of short-sighted bribe of <laughs> saying yeah we're just going to not make anyone pay for electricity because then people will like us more and and, and as, as you say once that pattern of doing things is established it's very difficult because you know if another government ever takes control of this municipality uh, after the anc uh, maybe the IFP or someone else, and they say, you know, we're in debt, we need to collect. 
a lot of people are going to say, but we've never paid for electricity. Why should we start now? Uh, anyway, very bad political practices, and I hope some consequences do come down the line. Um, last story, uh, also from KZN, uh, the DA in KZN uh, says that there are that there needs to be more community involvement in policing structures, and that they say that they will support community policing forums if government is unable to do so. Uh, their their uh, provincial leader um, said that uh, you know crime, extortion, murder, rape, gender-based violence, hijackings, truck arts, and political assassinations are posing a threat to KZN's people. They are robbing people, robbing our province of valuable and much-needed investment. According to a senior member of SAPS in the province, the figure of police involved in crime is something like half, said the DA provincial leader. Uh, the DA and KZN will now look to formalize a program that offers support to CPFs and will meet existing structures soon to discuss the way forward. So um, I, and I think you'll agree with me, Chris, I quite like the idea of decentralizing power here, of um, encouraging more community involvement in something like policing structures. But at the end of the day, one of the very core basic functions of the state, uh, which which even uh, anyone except those basically don't want a government at all agree on, is that the police should be there to do their job, provide law and order, do security. And without the powers to arrest, without the powers to um, actively take people through the legal process to make sure that criminals are caught, they have their day in court, that they are found guilty, and that they go to prison, if that chain cannot be maintained, you can have the greatest CPFs in the world, and the impact you're going to have on crime is going to be at least, I think, a little bit limited. Um, do you agree with me, Chris? Yeah, I very much like the idea of CPFs, and you've seen them manifesting more and more as the state has left these voids through the lack of effective uh, policing. So uh, you would want it to, to, as you say, not hit this particular roadblock around maybe enforcing the whole law. But that doesn't mean they can't still fulfill some of those gaps and act as a bit of a go-between or another layer of security and protection for communities. And that sense of communities taking ownership of their immediate space. And then that hopefully get that overlap between many of them that permeates even wider and higher up, up to maybe city level, uh, provincial level. Building it up from the ground might then be an effective way to get at least a handle on some of the crime in the country versus waiting for it to be fixed from Pretoria um, with the Minister of Police, for example, which is highly unlikely. So not, not a perfect solution, um, and not every community can afford to engage in this sort of activity with all the resources, but I think this, this points to the, what we've talked about over the last year or two with community-based solutions for various challenges that the country is facing, and hopefully the trend continues to build. It won't be fixed overnight by any means. But at least now, sort of testing out of these ideas in different spots around the country, figuring out how can it work, how can't it work, what can we do within the law, what can't we, and we push, and we keep pushing, and we keep pushing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of more uh, civil action and community involvement in the process of governance, uh, and that kind of stuff, with people, as you say, stepping up and, and seeing what they can do. Anyway, that's all we have for today. So thank you very much. And all I can say is that's a wrap.